Welcome, everyone, to the new 1001 Sherlock Holmes Stories podcast. Here you'll find a collection of Sherlock Holmes adventures, as well as the best of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's stories. Some from our archives at 1001 Classic Short Stories and 1001 Stories for the Road, and some newly produced, all here for your entertainment. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Sherlock Holmes Stories and the best of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Today's story, The Valley of Fear, which was the fourth and final Sherlock Holmes novel by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. It's loosely based on the Molly Maguires and Pinkerton agent James McParland. The story was first published in the Strand magazine between September 1914 and May of 1915. The first book edition was copyrighted in 1914 and was first published by George H. Duran Company. And now, The Valley of Fear, Part 1, The Tragedy of Burlstone, Chapter 1, The Warning. "'I am inclined to think,' said I. "'I should do so,' Sherlock Holmes remarked impatiently. "'I believe that I am one of the most long-suffering of mortals, "'but I'll admit that I was annoyed at the sardonic interruption.' "'Really, Holmes,' said I, severely, "'you are a little trying at times.' "'He was too much absorbed with his own thoughts "'to give any immediate answer to my remonstrance. "'He leaned upon his hand with his untasted breakfast before him, "'and he stared at the slip of paper "'which he had just drawn from its envelope. "'Then he took the envelope itself, "'held it up to the light, "'and very carefully studied both the exterior and the flap. "'It is Porlock's writing,' said he thoughtfully. "'I can hardly doubt that it is Porlock's writing "'because I've seen it only twice before. "'The Greek E with the peculiar top flourish is distinctive. "'But if it is Porlock, "'then it must be something of the very first importance.' "'He was speaking to himself rather than to me.' "'but my vexation disappeared in the interest which the words awakened. "'Who, then, is Porlock?' I asked. "'Porlock, Watson, is a nom de plume, a mere identification mark. "'But behind it lies a shifty and evasive personality. "'In a former letter he frankly informed me that the name was not his own, "'and defied me ever to trace him among the teeming millions of this great city. "'Porlock is important, not for himself, but for the great man with whom he is in touch.' "'Picture to yourself the pilot fish with the shark, the jackal with the lion, "'anything that is insignificant in companionship with what is formidable. "'Not only formidable, Watson, but sinister, in the highest degree sinister. "'That is where he comes within my purview. "'You've heard me speak of Professor Moriarty, the famous scientific criminal, "'as famous among crooks as—' "'My blushes, Watson,' Holmes murmured in a deprecating voice. "'I was about to say, as he is unknown to the public.' "'A touch, a distinct touch,' cried Holmes. "'You are developing a certain unexpected vein of pawky humor, Watson, "'against which I must learn to guard myself. "'But in calling Moriarty a criminal, "'you are uttering libel in the eyes of the law, "'and there lie the glory and the wonder of it. "'The greatest schemer of all time, "'the organizer of every deviltry, "'the controlling brain of the underworld, "'a brain which might have made or marred the destiny of nations. "'That's the man.' "'but so aloof is he from general suspicion, "'so immune from criticism, "'so admirable in his management and self-effacement, "'that for these very words that you have uttered "'he could hail you to a court "'and emerge with your year's pension "'as a salation for his wounded character. "'Is he not the celebrated author "'of the dynamics of an asteroid, "'a book which ascends to such rarefied heights "'of pure mathematics "'that it's said that there's no man "'in the scientific press capable of criticizing it? "'Is this a man to traduce?' "'Foul-mouthed doctor and slander professor. "'Such would be your respective roles. "'That's genius, Watson, "'but if I am spared by lesser men, "'our day will surely come.' 
"'May I be there to see?' I exclaimed devoutly. "'But you are speaking of this man Porlock.' "'Ah, yes. "'The so-called Porlock is a link in the chain "'some little way from its great attachment. "'Porlock is not quite a sound link between ourselves. "'He's the only flaw in that chain "'so far as I've been able to test it. "'But no chain is stronger than its weakest link. "'Exactly, my dear Watson. "'Hence the extreme importance of Porlock. "'Led on by some rudimentary aspirations towards right, "'and encouraged by the judicious stimulation "'of an occasional ten-pound note sent to him by devious methods.' "'He has once or twice given me advance information "'which has been of value, "'that highest value which anticipates and prevents, "'rather than avenges crime. "'I cannot doubt that, if we had the cipher, "'we should find that this communication "'is of the nature that I indicate.' "'Again Holmes flattened out the paper "'upon his unused plate. "'I rose, and leaning over him, "'stared down at the curious inscription, "'which ran as follows. "'534-C2-13-127.' Three six three one four seventeen twenty one forty one, Douglas in caps, one o nine two nine three five thirty seven, Burlstone twenty six, Burlstone nine forty seven, one seven one. What do you make of it, Holmes? It's obviously an attempt to convey secret information. But what is the use of a cipher message without the cipher? In this instance, none at all. Why do you say in this instance? "'because there are many ciphers which I would read as easily as I do the apocrypha of the agony column. "'Such crude devices amuse the intelligence without fatiguing it. "'But this is different. "'It is clearly a reference to the words in a page of some book. "'Until I'm told which page and which book, I'm powerless.' "'But why Douglas and Burlstone? "'Clearly because those are words which were not contained in the page in question. "'Then why has he not indicated the book?' "'Your native shrewdness, my dear Watson, "'that innate cunning which is the delight of your friends, "'would surely prevent you from enclosing cipher and message "'in the same envelope. "'Should it miscarry, you are undone. "'As it is, both have to go wrong before any harm comes from it. "'Our second post is now overdue, "'and I shall be surprised if it does not bring us "'either a further letter of explanation, "'or, as is more probable, "'the very volume to which these figures refer.' Holmes's calculation was fulfilled within a very few minutes by the appearance of Billy, the page, with the very letter which we were expecting. "'The same writing,' remarked Holmes, as he opened the envelope. "'And actually signed,' he added, in an exultant voice, as he unfolded the epistle. "'Come, we are getting on, Watson.' His brow clouded, however, as he glanced over the contents. "'Dear me, this is very disappointing. I fear, Watson, that all our expectations come to nothing.' "'I trust that the man Porlock will come to no harm. "'Dear Mr. Holmes,' he says, "'I will go no further in this matter. "'It is too dangerous. "'He suspects me. "'I can see that he suspects me. "'He came to me quite unexpectedly "'after I had actually addressed this envelope "'with the intention of sending you the key to the cipher. "'I was able to cover it up. "'If he had seen it, it would have gone hard with me, "'but I read suspicion in his eyes. "'Please burn the cipher message, "'which can now be of no use to you.' "'Fred Borlock.' Holmes sat for some little time twisting this letter between his fingers and frowning as he stared into the fire. "'After all,' he said at last, "'there may be nothing in it. It may be only his guilty conscience. Knowing himself to be a traitor, he may have read the accusation in the other's eyes. Uh, the other being, I presume, Professor Moriarty?' "'No less. When any of that party talk about he, you know whom they mean.' 
"'There is one predominant he for all of them. "'But what can he do?' "'Hum! That's a large question. "'When you have one of the first brains of Europe up against you "'and all the powers of darkness at his back, "'there are infinite possibilities. "'Anyhow, friend Porlock is evidently scared out of his senses. "'Kindly compare the writing in the note to that upon its envelope, "'which was done, he tells us, before this ill-omened visit. "'The one is clear and firm. "'The other, hardly legible.' "'Why did he write it all? "'Why did he not simply drop it? "'Because he feared I would make some inquiry after him in that case, "'and possibly bring trouble on him.' Hm. no doubt. "'I had picked up the original cipher message "'and was bending my brows over it. "'It's pretty maddening to think that an important secret "'may lie here on this slip of paper, "'and that it is beyond human power to penetrate it.' "'Sherlock Holmes had pushed away his untasted breakfast "'and lit the unsavory pipe "'which was the companion of his deepest meditations.' "'I wonder,' said he, leaning back and staring at the ceiling. "'Perhaps there are points which have escaped your Machiavellian intellect. "'Let us consider the problem in the light of pure reason. "'The man's reference is to a book. "'That is our point of departure.' "'A somewhat vague one. "'Well, let us see, then, if we can narrow it down. "'As I focus my mind upon it, it seems rather less impenetrable. "'What indications have we as to this book?' "'None.' "'Well, it is surely not quite so bad as that. "'The cipher message begins with a large 534, does it not? "'We may take it as a working hypothesis "'that 534 is the particular page to which the cipher refers. "'So our book already has become a large book, "'which is surely something gained. "'What other indications have we as to the nature of this large book? "'The next sign is C2. "'What do you make of that, Watson?' "'The second chapter. "'Hardly that, Watson.' You will, I'm sure, agree with me that if the page be given, the number of the chapter is immaterial. Also, if that page, 534, finds us only in the second chapter, the length of the first one must have been really intolerable. Column! Column, then! I cried. Brilliant, Watson. You are scintillating this morning. If it is not column, then I'm very much deceived. So now, you see, we begin to visualize a large book printed in double columns which are each of a considerable length, since one of the words is numbered in the document as the 293rd. Have we reached the limits of what reason can apply? I fear that we have. Surely you do yourself an injustice. One more coruscation, my dear Watson. Yet another brainwave. Had the volume been an unusual one, he would have sent it to me. Instead of that, he had intended, before his plans were nipped, to send me the clue in this envelope. He says so in his note. This would seem to indicate that the book is one which he thought I would have no difficulty in finding for myself. He had it, and he imagined that I would have it too. In short, Watson, it is a very common book. What you say certainly sounds plausible. So we have contracted our field of search to a large book, printed in double columns and in common use. The Bible! I cried triumphantly. Good, Watson, good. But not, if I may say so, "'Quite good enough. "'Even if I accepted the compliment for myself, "'I could hardly name any volume "'which would be less likely to be at the elbow "'of one of Moriarty's associates. "'Besides, the editions of Holy Writ "'are so numerous that he could hardly suppose "'the two copies would have the same pagination. "'This is clearly a book which is standardized. "'He knows for certain that his page 534 "'will exactly agree with my page 534. "'But very few books would correspond with that.' "'Exactly.' "'Therein lies our salvation. 
"'Our search is narrowed down to standardized books "'which anyone may be supposed to possess. "'How about Bradshaw? "'There are difficulties, Watson. "'The vocabulary of Bradshaw is nervous and terse, but limited. "'The selection of words would hardly lend itself "'to the sending of general messages. "'We will eliminate Bradshaw. "'The dictionary is, I fear, inadmissible for the same reason. "'What then is left? "'How about an almanac? "'Excellent, Watson.' "'I'm very much mistaken if you have not touched the spot. "'An almanac. "'Let us consider the claims of Whitaker's Almanac. "'It is in common use. "'It has the requisite number of pages. "'It is in double column. "'Though reserved in its earlier vocabulary, "'it becomes, if I remember right, "'quite garrulous towards the end.' "'He picked the volume from his desk. "'Here is page 534, column 2, "'a substantial block of print dealing, "'I perceive, with the trade and resources of British India.' "'Jot down the words, Watson. "'Number thirteen is Mahrata. "'Not, I fear, a very auspicious beginning. "'Number one hundred and twenty-seven is Government, "'which at least makes sense, "'though somewhat irrelevant to ourselves and Professor Moriarty. "'Let's try again. "'What does the Mahrata government do? "'Alas, the next word is pig's bristles. "'We are undone, my good Watson. "'It is finished.' He had spoken in jesting vain, but the twitching of his bushy eyebrows bespoke his disappointment and irritation. I sat helpless and unhappy, staring into the fire. A long silence was broken by a sudden exclamation from Holmes, who dashed at a cupboard, from which he emerged with a second yellow-covered volume in his hand. "'We paid the price, Watson, for being too up-to-date,' he cried. "'We are before our time, and suffer the usual penalties.' "'Being the 7th of January, we have very properly laid in the new almanac. "'It is more than likely that Porlock took his message from the old one. "'No doubt he would have told us so had his letter of explanation been written. "'Now let us see what page 534 has in store for us. "'Number 13 is there, which is much more promising. "'Number 127 is is. There is. "'Holmes's eyes were gleaming with excitement, "'and his thin, nervous fingers twitched as he counted the words. "'Danger! "'Ha-ha! Capital! Put that down, Watson! "'There's danger. May. Come. Very soon. One. "'Then we have the name Douglas. Rich. Country. Now. At. Burlston House. "'Burlston. Confidence. Is. Pressing. "'There, Watson. What do you think of pure reason and its fruit?' If the green grocer had such a thing as a laurel wreath, I should send Billy round for it. I was staring at the strange message which I had scrawled, as he deciphered it, upon a sheet of foolscap on my knee. What a queer, scrambling way of expressing his meaning, said I. On the contrary, he's done quite remarkably well, said Holmes. When you search a single column for words with which to express your meaning, you can hardly expect to get everything you want. You are bound to leave something to the intelligence of your correspondent. "'The purport is perfectly clear. "'Some deviltry is intended against one Douglas, "'whoever he may be, "'residing as stated, a rich country gentleman. "'He is sure, confidence, "'was as near as he could get to confident, "'that it is pressing. "'There is our result, "'and a very workmanlike little bit of analysis it was. "'Holmes had the impersonal joy of the true artist "'in his better work, "'even as he mourned darkly "'when it fell below the high level to which he aspired.' He was still chuckling over his success when Billy swung open the door and Inspector MacDonald of Scotland Yard was ushered into the room. 
Those were the early days at the end of the 80s, when Alec McDonald was far from having attained the national fame which he has now achieved. He was a young but trusted member of the detective force, who had distinguished himself in several cases which had been entrusted to him. His tall, bony figure gave promise of exceptional physical strength, while his great cranium and deep-set, lustrous eyes spoke no less clearly of the keen intelligence which twinkled out from behind his bushy eyebrows. Twice already in his career had Holmes helped him to attain success, his own sole reward being the intellectual joy of the problem. For this reason, the affection and respect of the Scotchman for his amateur colleague were profound, and he showed them by the frankness with which he consulted Holmes in every difficulty. Mediocrity knows nothing higher than itself, but talent instantly recognizes genius, and MacDonald had talent enough for his profession to enable him to perceive that there was no humiliation in seeking the assistance of one who already stood alone in Europe, both in his gifts and in his experience. Holmes was not prone to friendship, but he was tolerant of the big Scotchman, and smiled at the sight of him. "'You are an early bird, Mr. Mack,' said he. "'I wish you luck with your worm. I fear this means that there is some mischief afoot. "'If you said hope instead of fear, it would be nearer the truth, I'm thinking, Mr. Holmes,' the inspector answered, with a knowing grin. "'Well, maybe a wee nip would keep out the raw morning chill. "'No, I won't smoke, I thank you. I'll have to be pushing on my way.' "'for the early hours of a case are the precious ones, "'as no man knows better than your own self. "'But, but—' "'The inspector had stopped suddenly "'and was staring with a look of absolute amazement "'at a paper upon the table. "'It was the sheet upon which I had scrawled "'the enigmatic message. "'Douglas?' he stammered. "'Burlstone? What's this, Mr. Holmes? "'Man, it's witchcraft. "'Where in the name of all that is wonderful "'did you get those names?' "'It is a cipher that Dr. Watson and I have had occasion to solve. "'But why? What's amiss with the names?' "'The inspector looked from one to the other of us in dazed astonishment. "'Just this,' said he, "'that Mr. Douglas of Burlstone Manor House was horribly murdered last night. "'We'll return with Chapter 2, right after these sponsor messages.' "'And now Chapter 2, Sherlock Holmes' Discourses.' It was one of those dramatic moments for which my friend existed. It would be an overstatement to say that he was shocked or even excited by the amazing announcement. Without having a tinge of cruelty in a singular composition, he was undoubtedly callous from long overstimulation. Yet, if his emotions were dulled, his intellectual perceptions were exceedingly active. There was no trace then of the horror which I had myself felt at this curt declaration, but his face showed rather the quiet and interested composure of the chemist who sees the crystals falling into position from his oversaturated solution. "'Remarkable,' said he. "'Remarkable.' "'You don't seem surprised.' "'Interested, Mr. Mack, but hardly surprised. Why should I be surprised? I receive an anonymous communication from a quarter which I know to be important, warning me that danger threatens a certain person. Within an hour I learned that this danger is actually materialized and that the person is dead.' I am interested, but as you observe, I am not surprised. In a few short sentences he explained to the inspector the facts about the letter and the cipher. MacDonald sat with his chin on his hands and his great sandy eyebrows bunched into a yellow tangle. I was going down to Burlstone this morning, said he. I had come to ask you if you cared to come with me, you and your friend here. But from what you say, we might perhaps be doing better work in London. I rather think not, said Holmes. "'Hang it all, Mr. Holmes!' cried the inspector. "'The papers will be full of the Burlstone mystery in a day or two. "'But where's the mystery if there's a man in London "'who prophesied the crime before it ever occurred? 
"'We have only to lay our hands on that man, and the rest will follow.' "'No doubt, Mr. Mack, but how do you propose to lay your hands on the so-called Porlock?' "'MacDonald turned over the letter which Holmes had handed him. "'Posted in Camberwell. That doesn't help us much. "'Name, you say, is assumed. Well, not much to go on, either. "'Didn't you say you have sent him money?' "'Yes, twice.' "'And how? In notes to Camberwell Post Office. "'Did you ever trouble to see who called for them?' "'No.' "'The inspector looked surprised and a little shocked. "'Why not?' "'Because I always keep faith. "'I had promised when he first wrote "'that I would not try to trace him. "'You think there is someone behind him? "'I know there is. "'This professor that I've heard you mention. "'Exactly.' "'Inspector MacDonald smiled, "'and his eyelid quivered as he glanced toward me. "'I won't conceal from you, Mr. Holmes, "'that we think in the CID "'that you have a wee bit of a bee in your bonnet "'over this professor. "'I made some inquiries myself about the matter.' "'He seems to be a very respectful, learned, and talented sort of man. "'I'm glad you've got so far as to recognize the talent. "'Man, you can't but recognize it. "'After I heard your view, I made it my business to see him. "'I had a chat with him on eclipses. "'How the talk got that way, I cannot think. "'But he had out a reflector lantern and a globe, "'and made it all clear in a minute. "'He lent me a book, but I don't mind saying that it was a bit above my head. "'When he put his hand on my shoulder, as we were parting, "'It was like a father's blessing "'before you go out into the cold, cruel world.' "'Holmes chuckled and rubbed his hands. "'Great,' he said. "'That's great. "'Tell me, friend MacDonald, "'this pleasing and touching interview was, I suppose, "'in the professor's study?' "'Yes, that's so. "'A fine room, is it not?' "'Very fine. "'Very handsome indeed, Mr. Holmes. "'You sat in front of his writing desk?' "'Just so.' "'Sun in your eyes, and his face in the shadow.' "'Well, it was evening, but I mind that the lamp was turned on my face.' "'It would be. Did you happen to observe a picture over the professor's head?' "'I don't miss much, Mr. Holmes. Maybe I learned that from you. "'Yes, I saw the picture, a young woman with her head on her hands, peeping at you sideways.' "'That painting was by Jean-Baptiste Greuze.' "'The inspector endeavored to look interested. "'Jean-Baptiste Greuze,' Holmes continued, "'joining his fingertips and leaning well back in his chair, "'was a French artist who flourished between the years 1750 and 1800. "'I allude, of course, to his working career. "'Modern criticism has more than endorsed "'the high opinion formed of him by his contemporaries.' "'The inspector's eyes grew abstracted. Uh, "'Hadn't we better,' he said, "'we are doing so.' "'Holmes interrupted. "'All that I'm saying has a very direct and vital bearing "'upon what you have called the Burlstone mystery. "'In fact, it may in a sense be called the very center of it.' "'MacDonald smiled feebly and looked appealingly to me. "'Your thoughts move a bit too quick for me, Mr. Holmes. "'You leave out a link or two, and I can't get over the gap. "'What in the whole wide world can be the connection "'between this dead painting man and the affair of Burlstone?' "'All knowledge comes useful to the detective,' remarked Holmes. "'Even the trivial fact that in the year 1865 "'a picture by Greuze entitled La Jeune Fille à l'Agneur "'fetched 1,200,000 francs, more than 40,000 pounds, "'at the portal of sale may start a train of reflection in your mind.' "'It was clear that it did. "'The inspector looked honestly interested. "'I may remind you,' 
Holmes continued, "'that the professor's salary can be ascertained in several trustworthy books of reference. Seven hundred pounds a year.' "'Then how could he buy—' "'Quite so. How could he?' "'Aye, that's remarkable,' said the inspector, thoughtfully. "'Talk away, Mr. Holmes. I'm just loving it. It's fine.' Holmes smiled. He was always warmed by genuine admiration, the characteristic of the real artist. "'What about Burlstone?' he asked. "'We've time yet,' said the inspector, glancing at his watch. "'I have a cab at the door, and it won't take us twenty minutes to Victoria. But about this picture, I thought you told me once, Mr. Holmes, that you had never met Professor Moriarty.' "'No, I never have.' "'Then how do you know about his rooms?' "'Ah, that's another matter.' "'I have been three times in his rooms, "'twice waiting for him under different pretexts, "'and leaving before he came. "'Once, well, I can hardly tell about the once "'to an official detective. "'It was on that last occasion "'that I took the liberty of running over his papers, "'with the most unexpected results. "'You found something compromising?' "'Oh, absolutely nothing. "'That was what amazed me. "'However, you have now seen the point of the picture. "'It shows him to be a very wealthy man. "'How did he acquire wealth?' "'He is unmarried. "'His younger brother is a station-master in the west of England. "'His chair is worth seven hundred a year. "'And he owns a gruse. "'Well?' "'Surely the inference is plain. "'You mean that he has a great income "'and that he must earn it in illegal fashion?' "'Exactly. "'Of course I have other reasons for thinking so. "'Dozens of exiguous threads "'which lead vaguely up towards the centre of the web "'where the poisonous, motionless creature is lurking.' "'I only mention the gruise because it brings the matter "'within the range of your own observation.' "'Well, Mr. Holmes, I admit that what you say is interesting. "'In fact, it's more than interesting. It's just wonderful. "'But let us have it a little clearer, if you can. "'Is it forgery? Coining? Burglary? Where does the money come from?' "'Have you ever read of Jonathan Wilde?' Oh, "'The name has a familiar sound. "'Someone in a novel, was he not?' "'I don't take much stock of detectives in novels. "'Chaps that do things and never let you see how they do them. "'That's just inspiration, not business.' "'Jonathan Wilde wasn't a detective, and he wasn't in a novel. "'He was a master criminal, and he lived last century, 1750 or thereabouts.' Oh, "'Then he's no use to me. I'm a practical man.' "'Mr. Mack, the most practical thing that you ever did in your life "'would be to shut yourself up for three months "'and read twelve hours a day at the Annals of Crime.' "'Everything comes in circles, even Professor Moriarty. "'Jonathan Wilde was the hidden force of the London criminals, "'to whom he sold his brains and his organization on a 15% commission. "'The old wheel turns, and the same spoke comes up. "'It's all been done before, and it will be again. "'I'll tell you one or two things about Moriarty which may interest you.' "'I'm interested, right enough. "'I happen to know who was the first link in his chain.' "'a chain with this Napoleon gone wrong at one end, "'and a hundred broken fighting men, "'pickpockets, blackmailers, and card-sharpers at the other, "'with every sort of crime in between. "'His chief of staff is Colonel Sebastian Moran, "'as aloof and guarded and inaccessible to the law as himself. "'What do you think he pays him?' "'I'd like to hear.' Six thousand pounds a year. "'That's paying for brains, you see. "'The American business principle.' "'I learned that detail quite by chance. "'It's more than the Prime Minister gets. "'That gives you an idea of Moriarty's gains "'and of the scale on which he works. "'Another point. 
"'I made it my business to hunt down some of Moriarty's checks lately, "'just common innocent checks that he pays his household bills with. "'They were drawn on six different banks. "'Does that make any impression on your mind?' "'Queer, certainly. But what do you gather from it?' "'That he wanted no gossip about his wealth. "'No single man should know what he had. "'I have no doubt that he has twenty banking accounts. "'The bulk of his fortune abroad in the Deutsche Bank, "'or the Credit Lyonnais, as likely as not.' "'Sometime when you have a year or two to spare, "'I commend you to the study of Professor Moriarty.' "'Inspector MacDonald had grown steadily more impressed "'as the conversation proceeded. "'He had lost himself in his interest. "'Now his practical Scotch intelligence "'brought him back with a snap to the matter in hand. Well, "'He can keep, anyhow,' said he. "'You've got a sidetrack with your interesting anecdotes, Mr. Holmes. "'What really counts is your remark "'that there is some connection between the professor and the crime.' "'That you get from the warning received to the man Porlock. "'Can we, for our present practical needs, get any farther than that? "'We may form some conception as to the motives of this crime. "'It is, as I gather from your original remarks, an inexplicable, or at least an unexplained murder. "'Now, presuming that the source of the crime is as we expect it to be, "'there might be two different motives. "'In the first place, I may tell you that Moriarty rules with a rod of iron over his people. "'His discipline is tremendous.' "'There's only one punishment in his code, and that's death. "'Now we might suppose that this murdered man, "'this Douglas whose approaching fate was known "'by one of the arch-criminal's subordinates, "'had in some way betrayed the chief. "'His punishment followed, and would be known to all, "'if only to put the fear of death into them. "'Well, that is one suggestion, Mr. Holmes. "'The other is that it's been engineered by Moriarty "'in the ordinary course of business. "'Was there any robbery?' "'I have not heard.' "'If so, it would, of course, be against the first hypothesis "'and in favor of the second. "'Moriarty may have been engaged to engineer it "'on a promise of part spoils, "'or he may have been paid so much down to manage it. "'Either is possible. "'But whichever it may be, "'or if it is some third combination, "'it is down at Burlstone that we must seek the solution. "'I know our man too well to suppose "'that he has left anything up here "'which might lead us to him.' "'Then to Burlstone we must go,' "'cried MacDonald, jumping from his chair.' "'My word! It's later than I thought. "'I can give you, gentlemen, five minutes for preparation, and that is all.' "'And ample for us both,' said Holmes, "'as he sprang up and hastened to change from his dressing-gown to his coat. "'While we're on our way, Mr. Mack, I will ask you to be good enough to tell me all about it.' "'All about it proved to be disappointingly little, "'and yet there was enough to assure us that the case before us "'might well be worthy of the expert's closest attention.' He brightened and rubbed his thin hands together as he listened to the meager but remarkable details. A long series of sterile weeks lay behind us, and here at last there was a fitting object for these remarkable powers which, like all special gifts, become irksome to their owner when they're not in use. That razor brain blunted and rusted with inaction. Sherlock Holmes's eyes glistened, his pale cheeks took a warmer hue, and his whole eager face shone with an inward light when the call for work reached him. Leaning forward in the cab, he listened intently to MacDonald's short sketch of the problem which awaited us in Sussex. The inspector was himself dependent, as he explained to us, upon a scribbled account forwarded to him by the milk train in the early hours of the morning. White Mason, the local officer, was a personal friend, and hence MacDonald had been notified much more promptly than is usual at Scotland Yard, when provincials need their assistance. It is a very cold scent upon which the metropolitan expert is generally asked to run. "'Dear Inspector MacDonald,' said the letter which he read to us, "'official requisition for your services is in separate envelope. 
"'This is for your private eye. "'Wire me what train in the morning you can get for Burlstone, "'and I will meet it, or have it met if I'm too occupied. "'This case is a snorter. "'Don't waste a moment in getting started. "'If you could bring Mr. Holmes, please do so, "'for he will find something after his own heart. "'We would think the whole had been fixed up for theatrical effect "'if there wasn't a dead man in the middle of it. "'My word, it is a snorter. "'Your friend seems to be no fool.' "'remarked Holmes. "'No, sir. "'White Mason is a very live man, "'if I am any judge. "'Well, have you anything more? "'Only that he will give us every detail when we meet. "'Then how did you get at Mr. Douglas "'and the fact that he had been horribly murdered?' "'That was in the enclosed official report. "'It didn't say horrible. "'That's not a recognized official term. "'It gave the name John Douglas. "'It mentioned that his injuries had been in the head "'from the discharge of a shotgun.' It also mentioned the hour of the alarm, which was close on to midnight last night. It added that the case was undoubtedly one of murder, but that no arrest had been made, and that the case was one which presented some very perplexing and extraordinary features. That's absolutely all we have at present, Mr. Holmes. Then, with your permission, we will leave it at that, Mr. Mack. The temptation to form premature theories upon insufficient data is the bane of our profession. I can see only two things for certain at present. "'a great brain in London, and a dead man in Sussex. "'It's the chain between that we are going to trace.'" Thanks for joining us for 1001 Sherlock Holmes Stories and the best of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. We've had a few reviews lately we'd like to share. The first one, five stars. Love the Sherlock Holmes. Wonderful stories. Great job with the voices, John. My children also love to listen to the stories. It is so great to enjoy the classics with them as we do evening chores together. Thanks again. Down from Andy Mize, Apple Podcast, U.S. And this one, five stars. My favorite podcast, Sherlock Holmes. John, Sherlock Holmes is my favorite podcast in the 1001 Network of Podcasts. The Hounds of the Baskervilles is the best so far. Keep up the great work, Sean from Yonkers. And this one, keep up the good work, five stars. I'm so thankful I found this podcast last month. I've been listening almost every day since while working. Keep up the good work. The for Yahoo B Apple Podcast, France. And this one, switching up podcasts and, and found yours. Five stars. As someone whose father recorded for Radio in the Blind, I know the finished product belies the many hours to create a good voice line, so I thank you for your personally recorded narration. Your Sherlock Holmes mysteries pair as well with my daily walks. I'm downloading new episodes as I type. This review. Thank you again, Marilyn. That one from Maryland, Apple Podcast, U.S. Thank you all so very much for sending these reviews. They are greatly, greatly appreciated. Join us for Chapters 3 and 4 next week Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Until then, everyone, stay safe. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we'll be back soon.